you singing? Which direction we are going? You're afraid. Don't be. You have all the weapons you need. Into the further you go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Into the Further, the podcast where we meditate on the art of filmmaking, as well as the deeper ideas and themes of all our favorite films and what they mean to us. I'm your host or guide, Gwendolyn M.J. Stone, and today uh, is, well, actually my first time back with a new episode in quite a while. A lot of things happened. Uh there was a move that went down, a lot of scheduling to try and figure out what exactly I was going to do whenever I came back, uh, so on and so forth. But all that aside, today we're going to have a very, very interesting discussion on a film that, honestly, I don't think a lot of people talk about anymore, which is weird because it should be talked about way more, uh, with a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello, everybody. I am Joshua Lozano. You may know me on YouTube as JoshBoy64, aka a one-hit wonder of a video essayist that did a a pretty okay-ish video on uh, nobody's favorite Avengers movie. So uh, that's unfortunate now, but I mean, hey, we're both one-hit wonders here, so. Yeah, but you got Zack Snyder. I got... <laughs> okay, let, let's look at it. Let's look at it this way. It, you you came up with a very, very cool perspective on that movie, and it is how we became friends in a way. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Also, but... if you heard uh, the shaking collar in the background, that would be my dog, Aww. who has decided to be a third co-host. Hey, we gotta oh, get boy. that cute factor in this. Yeah. Okay, go lay down. Go lay down. Go on. And uh, in addition to doing some some video essays when I actually have the time... I'm also a budding uh, writer director who's done a couple, a few short films. One of which was an adaptation of a Stephen King short story, and right now I'm currently in the home stretch of post production on my latest short film, which is called Ruleta. So, oh, I, I really like wearing a lot of my influences on my sleeve, and man, if there's ever an influence that I wear on my sleeve, it is this movie you know i can see it i can see it a bit after having re revisited it. uh prior to you suggesting this movie i hadn't seen it since i was maybe 12 years old and there there was a lot of things i forgot about it but anyway i guess we should let everyone know what movie we are talking about today uh we are going to be talking about crossroads There's a place where deals are made. And you made your deal at the crossroads. Yeah, I made the deal. Oh, I get it. You want some kind of contest, huh? You're a real smart boy, ain't you? 
where a thin line separates the good. I'm giving you all the magic I got from the great. Louis Brown sent me. Eugene Martone is ready to cross it. Crossroads is a 1986 film directed by Walter Hill with a screenplay written by John Fusco, uh, starring Ralph Macchio, Joe Seneca, and Jamie Jertz, with uh, cinematography by John Bailey, and music by Ry Cooter. It's honestly a very interesting... Because when you look at uh, Walter Hill's overall filmography... Crossroads mm-hmm. is kind of at a weird in between from like his uh, his typical. So a crossroads. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> you know, like between his urban uh, fairy tales, like that he's done with you know stuff like the excellent warriors, and in my opinion, the the movie that that should have practically owned the eighties, Streets of Fire. And mm-hmm. his, uh, admittedly, like, some of his more, like, down-southern kind of tastes with, like, westerns and all that. It's weird to, to see, like, a movie like this that's very subdued, especially compared to, like, a lot of the other bombastic works. You know, you're not about to see, like, like stuff on the same level as, like, the, the gangs in The Warriors or the over-the-top flashy colors of like Diane Lane and everybody in Streets of Fire, which was like the last movie that he did before Crossroads. It's got a texture to it. Again, like as as we were saying, like uh, while I was watching this movie, I can actually see more of your influences as a filmmaker. <laughs> you know, like just just the way that this movie kind of frames characters and the more i guess you could say strange elements of these kind of stories like it 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 manages to be a little bit grounded and real even whenever it gets into these almost surreal supernatural mythic elements of it of its story like it, it never really seems to lose that very textured very real elements of what it's going for whatever i've seen some of your shorts like with rest stop and what i've seen of your new short film roulette i definitely see a bit of that there and just how layered the characters feel but at the same time how because one thing about walter hill even when he doesn't write his own movies like with this one he he always makes sure to make the characters feel lived in and not very mm-hmm. there are some points where the characters can veer towards unlikable and it's an interesting perspective because i've seen this movie probably like 3 times mm-hmm. three very distinct times because i loved watching this movie a long time ago when i was a kid and i've seen it twice after some personal stuff that i'll probably mention later but you, you know the first time watching it, it struck me how, like, at certain points, uh, Willie Brown, like, he mm-hmm. can be absolutely downright nasty and very, very crass. And you have to. Oh, yeah. You have to really adjust yourself to what you're what you're about to experience with him. Like, especially he tells you everything practically in that first scene 
Yeah, like the the thing is, is that this movie does require a lot of empathy <laughs> to watch. Um, because first time I saw this movie again, I was like twelve years old. I I saw this movie, and one of the only things I remember was just thinking, "Man, this old man's a fucking asshole." <laughs> And it wasn't until, you know, I watched it again recently where I kind of realized there's there's a lot of reasons as to why this guy is the way he is. And he does kind of give it all right at the beginning of the movie. But we'll kind of get into that a little bit more. But like, ah, geez, like, you know, this movie opens and, and this is something that I like John Fusco is the guy that wrote the script for this movie, who, by the way, knows we're recording this, which is really cool. <laughs> I, I've i loved a lot of the movies that this guy has written, like uh, Young Guns, Hidalgo, uh, Spirit, Stallion of Cimarron. Like, there, there's quite a few movies that this guy has written that I've thoroughly enjoyed. And they they all kind of have this very mythic quality to the writing while still kind of keeping it level-headed it doesn't go completely insane like say ah jeez i don't know what a good example i mean as much as i love him i guess any Zack Snyder movie <laughs> but like th- these movies are a lot more level and like crossroads is a really good example of that because uh crossroads are very often seen as like this liminal space within mythology uh, that dates all the way back at least as far as the greeks there's also a lot of it that relates to uh, haitian voodoo or how it's also known as uh, hoodoo which is very integral to the film in a lot of ways with its subject matter and the myth of Robert Johnson, even as much as uh, influencing the take on the devil in this movie. It's really interesting. And like, of course, the crossroads are also used as like this metaphor of an uncertain transition or i guess you could say journey that all of the central characters are going through in the film like it's it's both metaphorical and literal in a lot of ways and it's very like it's funny because i was talking about this with my roommate who i was watching the movie with uh last night and um you know in preparation for this podcast and you know i I think to elaborate on, on it a bit uh for viewers and listeners that don't know you know a large crux of the movie is kind of taking from the 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 story of you know robert johnson going to the crossroads and making a deal with the devil to become a great uh, guitar player and yes you know in the movie as far as i understand in real life he had recorded 29 songs and was taken from us as he 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 died in his late twenties too, so that's like really yeah. And point. from what I understand, he had basically it was almost overnight. He 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 didn't really know much how to play, and then suddenly he could just sing the blues like nobody's business. And you know, I remember talking with my roommate. It was right near the end of the film, and I remember I asked him. What do you take, like, do you take stock in stuff like this? Because I'll admit, when I was younger, 
I very much saw myself in like Eugene's perspective, the Ralph Macchio character of like, mm-hmm. I don't really believe in this kind of stuff. So like, <laughs> this was just kind of like, eh. I mean, it's cool. It's a cool story that you can read about in books. But I remember he said, I really put myself in touch spiritually. And I truly believe that there are some points of the devil can just kind of come to us at divine moments of temptation. And in a way, I can kind of believe that a little bit in the sense, not not to get all philosophical, because I swear to God, this is the weirdest place to bring it up. But, you know, it makes sense to me that, like, you know, God's, you know, mighty uh, actions and all that could be documented and be so infrequent from, like, a long time ago, but, like, the devil could appear almost anywhere at any given time and influence you in ways like, you know, Robert Johnson. So that the way mm-hmm. that John Fusco and Walter Hill kind of frame the magical realism elements of this, like it's a lot oh, more yeah. subdued than, like I said, like like Hill's other works, but it oddly draws you in. Yeah, like like that's that's the thing is like it. I feel like you can watch this movie and come to your own conclusions on it a little bit. Like it definitely does lean towards the the superstition and the myth of it all but like at the end of the day i feel like you you kind of still can take your own point of view on it a little bit oh yeah most definitely i i, I guess like the that kind of brings willie's journey into this whole film because yeah. he's uh he he's essentially a blind dog and you know he was one of robert johnson's friends and eugene upon reading all these books mm-hmm. and everything he he's absolutely enamored with the history of the blues and everything even while he's a uh, a juilliard student <laughs> i like wh- that's something i love is like eugene has to actually get to know willie by being like a part-time janitor at the facility that w- willie is staying in and once they start talking and he talks about how he's a blues man, you know, and he's, he wants to be just like him. And they're like, he's like, <laughs> where, where are you from, kid? Long Island. And then he's just like, Long Island. Uh, and then like, he's just as the nurse is wheeling him down the hall, he's just laughing his ass off. And Eugene's just like, okay, haha. He yeah, keeps yeah. it up like the whole movie, like just like, oh, it must be like where, uh-huh. where do you live, like wh- where are you at right now? Uh, what you got your home? You got to run back to? It's like no, I got to go back to my my dormitory at school. It's like a uh, dormitory. Ah, uh, times are hard. Like that. That's something I really love about this movie. Is like Willie is someone that has been at true fucking lows in his life and then here comes this kid (laughs) from fucking Juilliard who's trying to say that he's a blues man and you're just like it like put yourself in Willie's shoes here for a minute like there's even a line that fucking (laughs) there's a line that I think perfectly like 
for me, if I were Eugene, it would have shut me up for good. Like, okay, I'm out of my depth. When he comes into the room with the guitar and he's just like, I'm going to play something. And then Willie's just like, oh, Long Island blues man is going to sing us his blues. Tell us what plantation you came from. And it's like, oh, oh. Yeah, that went over my head. There, there as a were a kid. lot of things that, like, <laughs> yeah, and also like the other thing because the thing is, is like Eugene is trying to learn the the one lost song that Robert Johnson had supposedly written but never recorded, and that's that's one reason why he's trying to get to know Willie in the first place. And then you have Willie being like, "Oh yeah, just what we need another white boy stealing one of our songs or something like that." I don't remember the exact line. It's something along those lines, and it, it's really something that I think shows the respect. That, that Fusco has with the subject material, because I, I don't know if anybody knows this, but John Fusco's white. Usually with something like this, with this kind of subject material, it can veer towards almost romanticism without any acknowledgement of like the actual darkness that kind of underlies the creation of this kind of art. Like in lesser hands, Eugene would have broken through Willie's like grizzled exterior and Willie would have like come up with like, mm -hmm. would it would have taught him like everything like by the end of the second act and it would have been just like this feel good story like very schmaltzy and the thing is like Fusco who is a blues player he he knows that like no you can't shy away from this actual truth and yeah, Eugene, in fairness, he also doesn't give Eugene a lot of favors, too. Because at the beginning of this movie, and it was something that I realized while watching it, like, last night, which was, like, the second time in a long while that I had seen it. Eugene does sound kind of like an entitled dick with this, like, without meaning to. I could see that he's earnest, but just in the way that he's talking about it, it's like, no, yeah, if I were Willie, I would not be sold on this oh, yeah. pitch at all. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the thing is like, it, Eugene is a very earnest kid, like he genuinely believes everything he's saying. But at the same time, you know, like, <laughs> again, put yourself in Willie's perspective. He's he's an old man that has seen the fucking worst of everything has gotten jack shit out of life. And here comes this privileged white boy that's just like, hey, <laughs> can I have that lost song? Come on, man. Maybe the, the world needs it. Yeah, the, the world needs a white boy singing our song. Yeah, just like Elvis. the examples yeah, that he brings up, like Clapton funny. with Crossroads <laughs> and the Rolling Stones with Love in Vain. Mm -hmm. Robert Johnson is regarded as like the grandfather of rock and roll because again like there's a lot of his songs that do kind of go into the more macabre areas like with the devil and everything and like that that influenced a lot of rock and roll music the rolling stones the beatles like all of that kind of black musicians paved the way for white 
rock and roll musicians to just kind of steal and, the show that, from that's them. That's what separates like the good art from like the kind of because uh, you know it's a weird example to bring into all of this, but there's a way that you can do it where you acknowledge the history that came before it and it it pays respect to it while also acknowledging at least on a subtextual level like this is where it came from this is a little bit weird like i can't believe i'm bringing this up in this recording but uh like baz lerman's elvis really does a good job of walking that fine line oh yeah like again like that that movie is like very much uh, more focused on the myth of Elvis Presley rather than the reality of Elvis Presley. But at the same time, it does toe that line and does actually respect the black artists that very much influence the man who had a far more successful career than any of the people that influenced him. I feel like the movie doesn't really put any of the blame yeah. on Elvis, though. Like, it very much puts the blame on the capitalist system. Especially the colonel. Yeah. Like, I mean, the colonel really is kind of a stand-in for just capitalism in the world of art in general, I feel, in that movie. But, like, I don't know. Like, that, that's a pretty good movie, but, like, to not yeah. detour too far away from what we're talking about. Ah, jeez. I don't know. Like, that, that was just one line that really stuck out to me. And it's just kind of echoed in my head ever since watching it again. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I totally see Willie's perspective in this more <laughs> than I do Eugene's at this point. Like, I mean, it, God bless the kid, but he's he, he really nails idiot. it in that early scene, too, because, you know, he Willie basically says, like, yeah, you got the chord progressions down, you got everything. But there's one thing that you don't have that Robert Johnson did that all of us do. And he's like, well, what's that? You need mileage. Yeah, like that. That's what blues is. Like, it's it's not about how good you can fucking play. It's about what you have to say while playing. And there's a perfect example of that because as as the movie goes on, because you know, and and admittingly, a very like, yeah, this is this is very much like an eighties and like journey movie in a way, like. Uh, Eugene ends up breaking Willie out of this retirement, out of this home, so mm -hmm. that way he can take him down to Mississippi, so that way he can go to the crossroads and kind of try and get his soul back, as it were. And it, it's beautiful, yeah. too, because subtextually, mm -hmm. you know, Willie's literally been a caged bird, and he's finally able to sing to his heart's content, which, real quick, with him just getting out like wheeling over to his bedroom and then immediately standing up and eugene's just like wait you, you could walk it's like yeah if i <laughs> if they find out that i can walk they're gonna take away my car yeah my pontiac <laughs> <laughs> i laugh so hard <laughs> man man ain't worth nothing if he doesn't have a car you got a car no <laughs> like yeah. The, the whole movie is a coming of age story. The oh, most yeah. simple way by teaching people, especially youths, that life sucks. There's a lot of ways in which that comes up in the movie throughout, which I guess we'll eventually get to. But like, 
one thing I love is just how you how uh, Willie ends up kind of conning Eugene with whenever they get off the bus. That big fucking that roll of cash, cash. that uh, Willie kind of persuaded Eugene with. It's like, hey, I got all the money. We'll be fine. And then they get down to the the next train station to the next bus station. And come on, where's your money? I I only had enough to get us here. Where's that roll of cash? And then he starts unrolling. It's just like there's just a pun, just a bunch of cut up newspaper in there, and forty bucks. And he's just like, yeah, forty bucks will get you a long way. Just like not nowadays. It's just like, oh well, then we're hoboing. It's a perfect vehicle for everything that happens, and. Again, just kind of starts showing in a literal sense the mileage that Eugene has to basically earn in his heart. I mean, just one one great example of, of like that is when they're when they're walking down that initial road, and Willie's telling Eugene to make the train sing for him. Ugh. Yeah, that, that's pure magic, and at the same time, like Eugene just does not get it. Yeah, like, Eugene doesn't get it all. Like, whenever Willie is playing the harp, like, he's really going and, like, like he is giving life to this train and he's trying to teach Eugene something. And Eugene's just like, okay, I'll just copy what you're doing, but on the guitar. It's like, no! <laughs> you fucking idiot! <laughs> it's not about copying! Uh, and, and, and it's it's actually a really cool thing too because granted it may also just be the CD or the DVD copy that I have, but this this new time that I watched it last night, I was listening to the sound mixing. Of course, you always listen to the sound mixing when you watch a movie, but like when it gets to that iconic yeah. concert scene, not the final battle, but when they're performing and it's Lightning Boy and Blind Dog. It's, it's really a great good. song and everything like that. But when I was listening, I realized there were points I couldn't even hear Eugene's guitar. There were some times that he squeaks mm -hmm. through and you can hear the potential here and there. But for the most part, you hear the rest of the band. You definitely hear Willie's harp just kind of break through everything. But yeah. but there you just you, you have to pr practically strain yourself to try and hear Eugene shredding through the pig nose and sometimes it breaks through. And then later on when you see, you know, he's, he's basically riding high from being on stage for the first time playing for people. Yeah. And Willie just basically says, you played like shit. <laughs> like I, I finally got it after all this time. Like, no, yeah, I could hear, Eugene practically getting drowned out just trying to stick to those old blues chords that he must have learned in a book. Again, like whenever you're a kid watching this movie, you really kind of feel for Eugene having to be stuck with this cranky old asshole. But then whenever you watching as, watch it as an adult, it's like, no, no, he has a point. <laughs> but like at the same time, like Willie, I guess we, we should probably, I guess, kind of be critical of Willie in some ways because also like, he is, in some ways, like in a, a very emotionally distant, destructive person at the same yeah. time. 
like you understand like why he's kind of being a dick to this kid but at the same time like this kid is the only person that still gives a shit about him and he's trying to find any way to push him away that that's why i'll admit granted looking back at all this stuff with like you know our 2023 you know gen z kind of eyes there is some dated stuff here and i'll admit a large part of it is due to francis played by jamie gertz in this movie and yeah uh, uh there there's some of that that makes me uncomfortable but also like the final scene with her i Chef's do really kiss. love magnifique but leading up to that i think they do some interesting stuff with her because she too is at a crossroads she's someone that is a runaway trying to make a life for herself but she has nothing really and she is also just kind of hitching rides and having to sell herself just to keep making it farther along the path you know and it's something that she doesn't really have to do anymore once she meets up with eugene and willie like there is a point where she actually does try to do it with this fucking sleazy <laughs> asshole who by the way this this does bring me into uh something in regards to uh Robert Johnson's song Crossroads uh which is actually what the movie opens on of course in that song there i don't remember the exact lyrics but it, it's uh rising sun going down or something like that and it's 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 basically talking about sundown now some people now interpret that to like in haitian myths whenever the sun went down like that's where the the dark spirits and everything would come and so on and so forth but here's the thing uh there's a bit of different context brought to that in this scene whenever they're they're taken to this town where uh Francis is trying to sell herself to this piece of shit guy. They're in a sundown town. Now, if anyone is familiar with what a sundown town is, it is basically a place where black people were not allowed in white towns after, you know, after like the slavery abolition. So it just... It was their way of enforcing uh, lynchings. And that's like, that's actually what Robert Johnson's uh, song Crossroads is dealing with. It is like, it is commenting on like the horrors of being a black man in that era and the lynchings that would happen in whenever the sun went down. I actually got the lyrics right here standing at the crossroads uh, baby sun rising sun going down yeah so whatever they're at this town and you basically have like they're gonna go in and play and the guy's just like no get it out get out of here and he like i'm not even gonna say yeah. this remark he says to willie but you know Eugene wants to fight him, and then Willie's just like, no, it's not worth it. I, I mean, look, Eugene and didn't even know that there was still racism going on in America. Exactly. 
exactly like like that's kind of what a, a lot of privileged white kids think is like ah well slavery is gone i guess there's no racism anymore no that like there there's still a lot of systemic racism even now even after like sundown states and counties and everything aren't really a thing anymore there's still a lot of other problems that's something that even the film also um, does acknowledge that while some things are progressive sometimes it's just so systemic that it, it just bleeds into newer generations when they're when they're uh, caught in the barn by the sheriff and mm-hmm. they're at the they, they take them out yeah. to like the edge of town and they're just like all right we're just gonna go ahead and let you off with a warning so like you go over there you're that sheriff's problem we don't deal with vagrants here but you know what mm-hmm. caught us in a good mood and francis is all like but you stole my money it's just like well i don't know what you're talking about with that and willie is just like hey just calm down don't don't pick this fight and he goes to the guy and he says this amazing line that you know there are a lot of great lines in this whole movie that made me and my you my roommate just kind of our blood stand still but there's this line that he says to the sheriff who mm-hmm. is admittingly um you know a black man and he says to him you know some yeah. things sure have changed around here but i guess some things still stay the same or something like that and the sheriff for that brief moment yeah you could see just very subtly in his face like uh. again willie gets some really great lines in this movie that just kind of raise the hairs on the back of your neck a little bit and make you think because it's like yeah in some weird ways things have gotten progressive like black people can be cops and even sheriffs now but also they're still enforcing the same systemic bullshit yeah no it makes sense also just you kind of see willie's wisdom come in in these moments where like the younger kids just want to pick the fight and this is a guy that has seen what happens when you pick that fight it doesn't end well and he's just trying to spare them a little bit of that pain it's it's i think in a way i'll admit for a long time i had wondered i don't know maybe it's just like my weird brain but like I said, a lot of the stuff with Francis like kind of feels a, a little bit dated to some extent. And it was to the point I remember when I would think about this movie, Francis would be like the last thing on my mind. And I would think, why was she even in the movie? But this third time watching it, it clicked with me. And that sense that I really feel like Francis is what kind of, I, I guess, kind of gets Willie to to really start to change how he acts around Eugene. Yeah, like, I mean, I guess we've kind of gotten to that point now. Because before they they get on to the concert in the bar with Willie, they go to the all-white bar and get into a fight and lose Willie's gun. (laughs) And it, I'm, I'm telling you, it is a testament to the direction and the writing. Because, man, I have never, watching it again, I've never felt more on edge. Than going to that bar location, like I could just practically feel mm-hmm. my body tense up, even just at the sound of the music. Just like, oh, oh, it's one of these bars. And being in Texas, I know what kind of bars these mm. are. Ugh, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> no, 
not good. Not good. Don't like that. But you know, like that that whole thing goes down. Uh, they end up losing the pistol, which Willie then promptly, whatever Eugene goes on the stage, gives him shit for. Which you know, rightfully so. He that entrusted like the you with first this thing gun he and you does upon walking um, in and just being met with like a little bit of trouble. Well, mm-hmm. technically, it was Francis that was just like, "Hey, my my guy's got a gun on him," and it's just like, "Oh, you stupid kids!" Mm-hmm. Again, like it, it shows how rash and how inexperienced these kids are, and like it is, it is intentional. Like they make stupid choices, but like it is supposed to show that. That sense of naivete, I guess you could say, whenever these kids are so fresh to this very, very hard lifestyle, whereas Willie has kind of been a pro at it for his entire life. It's like what he said um, when Francis goes into that hotel room with the with the sleaze bag owner. It's just like they had that look on their face like they thought they knew what they were doing. They really did walk in mm-hmm. there thinking like, no, yeah, we know what, how we're going to do this. We, we're going to make some money and then just all. Pfft. Yeah, it, it, it's it's bad. But like it, then then, of course, we get to Francis's last scene in, in the movie that I'll be honest, I actually kind of forgot about from whenever I saw it the first time. So rewatching it was pretty fresh for me again. And yeah, ooh, that cuts deep. Because whenever Eugene comes in after the concert and is so high on everything and him and Willie get into the argument, like neither of them are noticing that Francis is like really distant emotionally. She's looking at a map. She's not even really paying attention to anything. She's still got her eyes focused on her goal. Yeah. And then she gets her her bags, everything together. Well, I guess right before that, a scene that explains that uh, Willie wakes up to to see her is he has a nightmare of the devil's assistant barging into his room saying hellhounds on your trail, which is, of course, a reference to another Robert Johnson song. And like like that just wakes him up in a cold sweat then he sees francis just on her way out like he kind of asks like are you're gonna leave without telling eugene goodbye and she says there's no goodbyes on the road and like they just kind of talk for a little bit and it's just this very understated scene and then willie says you're right there's no goodbyes on the road and then he hands her a hundred dollar bill see around because he doesn't want her to go around selling herself anymore he wants her to actually make her goals without as much hardship that's really whenever you see that hardened exterior of willie just finally crumble and you see the very gentle wise soul that's underneath all of that it's so and it's beautiful and it's it's almost like in that sense that you can see Willie seeing what played out what I imagine and and there's so much understated like you said right there that you can almost your mind can wander like he's probably just seeing in real time what he must have suffered back then only now he's on the outside looking in and he can finally for the first time kind of Mm -hmm. in that sense help guide someone through that heartbreak and man 
when Eugene walks in and he's just, Willie's just sitting there with the, with the whiskey, with the pint of whiskey, and he just pours out two shot glasses. He doesn't even say anything. It's just, it's Eugene kind of figuring out himself. And like, he, he doesn't have the heart to tell Eugene. Like the the Willie prior to this scene probably would have had some smart ass remark, like how this is the way it is and such and such. But now that he's understanding this from the outside looking in, like he's he's much more sensitive to Eugene's pain of realizing that this woman that he's actually kind of started to fall in love with. And, and just it's a very hard him. line to walk in that relationship too. that. That puppy love that Eugene has, because I believe this is the interesting thing about this movie that I don't know if you if you if you saw, but there's a lot of deleted scenes in this movie that are just lost to the sands of time. Mm. And like there, there's a scene where Willie, Eugene and Francis, they go to a church. You, you know, I imagine that there was like a lot of. Um, Mm. a lot of imagery and all that and you know there, there's even some bits where eugene and francis they're talking at a graveyard so they they had like a lot more time like kind of one-on-one but it's a testament to the time mm. that is in the final product that you know granted you have to sell the idea that eugene would basically kind of fall head over heels for someone like this to be honest from what it seems like in like the span of like two or three days but, you know, Machio's, like, yeah. earnestness and just absolute sincerity, even when he's very clearly being a dick, it goes a long way. Like, the barn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, that scene, like, he is a dick to her, but then he realizes pretty immediately, like, oh, I was shitty. I- I- I'm real sorry for that. You know, like, because that- that's something that Ralph Macchio does very well. E- even now, like, in his performances now, the thing that he's very good at playing is very sensitive, earnest guys that can get a little hot-headed at points and just be a complete dick and then feel so fucking bad it's a lost art of performance i think honest to god that scene where willie and and eugene are drinking and eugene plays his heart out that got me and my roommate tearing up and fuck um it's coming out because um the this movie was very I, i suggested it for a lot of reasons and um One reason such as, you know, I've mentioned my grandpa here and there, and my grandpa, he meant the world to me. He was very much my, he was my Willie Brown, you know, the, this movie, when you look at his relationship with Eugene, that was basically how me and my grandpa were. And that scene that captured for me, obviously the whole movie, I think captures my grandpa's very crass style, like. When I watched it for the first time in a hot minute last year after he had died and I was afraid to watch it, I started bawling mm. in the beginning when Robert Johnson puts the puts the slider on his finger and starts playing Crossroad Blues. And just to get an idea of what my grandpa was like, he literally that first scene with Willie is exactly what he was like to normal people. And even to me as like a 12 to 14 year old kid who was very sheltered too, you know, when 
with how crass he was and you know he's just like but you know you're willie brown willie brown used to play on the harp you know and then willie very bluntly just says where i come from you don't blow no harp you don't get no pussy he would talk to me a 12 year old kid like that all the fucking time and you know when i talk about it at the time he came off as so crass it was very hard to break through like you you could never get that sensitive side but that scene where Eugene is having a drink and he's just talking about like, look, I'm sorry. Like, I know I, I haven't gone through anything like you've had to go through, but you know, I just, I feel really, really shitty. And Willie says, wise man, when there's somebody once said that the blues is nothing but a good man feeling bad. And I know he's, he's, he told me yeah. that in the past. And just with, with that scene and, you know, he he Eugene initially lights up. He's just like, you're going to teach me the song. And Willie finally reveals to the audience and to Eugene that there wasn't a song. Robert Johnson only gave 29 songs. And as far as he knew, there wasn't a, a 30, a 30th song. He says to him, you got to do it for yourself. You got to play with your head and heart, practice and play. That's what Robert would tell you. And just the framing yeah. in that scene. But it cuts to Eugene because, you know, Eugene, it's a single on Eugene, but you can very clearly see on his right side is the door and on the or on the left side is the door and on the right side is his guitar. You know, it, it's very subtle in that, but it says something that when Eugene, upon hearing this earlier in the movie, Eugene would have probably just walked the fuck out the door. But instead, he he didn't even give it a second thought. He just goes over to the guitar and just waits for a bit and then starts playing his heart out. And it is fucking mm -hmm. beautifully sad. I, it doesn't even cut to Ralph's like eyes to try and sell it. It just holds on Ralph giving the performance and you can just feel the heartache as he strums and slides with the, with the tubing and it cuts to Willie he doesn't say anything snarky about it because it's the first time that Eugene isn't picking up chords from a book and trying to, you, you know, try and impress anybody. He's just doing what his heart's telling him. And Willie gives that little thing. He's just like, you know, lots of towns, lots of songs, lots of women, good times, bad times. When I die, only thing I want anybody to say is he could really play. He was good. And... Mm -hmm. fuck that was that, that was him that was him even when mm -hmm. i would tell him about stuff and he never got my filmmaking but he he understood what it meant to me it was on that same level as for him with painting and drawing and playing music himself because he 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 loved playing music he loved playing guitar he he loved playing classical music, so like, uh. <laughs> oh wow, oh boy, that's <laughs> uh, the yeah, power that's... of like a story like this, you know? Yeah, I mean that's again like that's what this is all about is just trying to find that story and that work of art that really connects with you and 
you really have a perspective on this that is really does cut deep yeah, so and... but like what what you brought up about uh classical music um that is actually another thing with this movie again to be a complete cheese ball here once again goes back to a crossroads between the discipline of classical music versus much more emotionally driven and soulful blues music you know finding some way to yeah. reconcile both the thing that i really love about this movie is like it does start with that with eugene whenever he's in juilliard class uh playing classical guitar he kind of goofs off a bit by just kind of blending the two methods and his teacher just kind of berates him for it because like that that is probably the first time in the movie that he's actually doing some kind of individual expression but you know it, it's something that's kind of taught out of him whenever he's in that school even like right there like understandably when it comes to learning the classic the classical way and this is something that my grandpa can att could attest to you have to have a very tight discipline to even learn the form of classical because it's so intensive not just like physically with your fingers but just like mentally you have to mm -hmm. it, it really is almost like what what, what do you call it almost like a march or something that that you have to have beaten into you very much like you know with like opera players mm -hmm. opera singers they have to have strict strict control of their body and to goof off a bit like that it can come off as disrespectful of what came before yeah i i, I totally i totally see that perspective like it is very very rough very strict art form and it's what makes the last scene so, so satisfying as a viewer. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I guess we could kind of get into that because they they end up making it to the crossroads, the same crossroads that Robert Johnson went to to supposedly sell his soul to the devil in the same place that uh, Willie Brown went. And basically, he once again meets the devil's assistant, who, by the way, I forgot to mention earlier, is played by Joe Morton, who's one of the best character actors ever. <laughs> he has such a small role in this movie, but goddamn, his presence is amazing. Every last scene he, he's in, he's great. And, you know, like he kind of toys with Willie a bit whenever he comes back to the crossroads. And Willie is not having this shit. He's like, nah, I I want to talk to Scratch and renegotiate the deal. Like, this is, this is bullshit. And by the way, uh, Scratch is the name of the devil in this movie, which is actually a common name for the devil in mythology. I, when, I, when I found that out, like, at a young age, it was just like, holy shit. Just the extent that this movie really does go into, like, imbuing its mythology and and also the other thing is whenever scratch shows up it is very very like he has a lot of similarities to the haitian voodoo spirit uh papa legba 
who is actually the spirit of the crossroads and is kind of like the Haitian voodoo version of the devil. Uh, in some ways, it's like he's not particularly malicious from what I put together. He is a trickster, though, and is more of like a jolly grandpa type. It really fits because like that is exactly kind of what they do is like he shows up on the scene and he has this wide ass grin on his fucking face. And it is the most chilling grin I've probably ever seen. And yet there's also something inviting about him that you just can't really put your finger on. But he has like a charm to him that you just can't help but kind of feel comfortable around. But at the same time, he grins and you know you're in trouble. It's like a snake kind of lulling you into its spell, but it weaves a bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, it it really is kind of like this perfect melding pot of, like, a ton of different mythologies of who the devil is. And it comes to this very distinct take on this mythological being that has existed across so many different religions and belief systems to come just come up with this own very distinct version of him that is very different from any other version of the devil you'll see in anything else. Yeah, I love whenever Willie's just trying to get out of the deal and he's just not having it. And he's like, well, if there's something else on the table, I may reconsider. And then, of course, Eugene takes the fucking bait. Like, because he's a hothead, man. Like, he's holy a shit. fucking idiot. He's like, I don't believe in this shit. Come on, I'll, I'll, I'm calling his bluff. I'll do it. And then they're transported to like this. It's the underworld, but it looks a whole lot more like a nightclub, a, like like a speakeasy or something, where they're just ha- basically the bet is is like Scratch has this rock and roll guitarist that is like supernaturally incredible like mad gifted at what he does you know basically it's implied that the devil gave him that ability but essentially this is kind of again like this is what i like is like how once again it is getting into you know musical mythology of how rock and roll is very often considered the devil's music Especially at that point in time, whenever Satanic Panic was a big thing with conservatives with like big rock and roll musicians and everything. And you literally have very stereotypical rock and roll guitarists being the devil's lackey, essentially. It's it's there that you could feel Walter Hill just kind of be like, okay, I've had to restrain myself this whole movie. All right. Now you're going to see. Now I get to have but, some fun. You, you can tell the exact moment, too, when, you know, Eugene's like, all right, well, where, where's this thing? And it cuts to Scratch. He's just like, oh, I think you'll find we'll get there a lot sooner than you think. And it's this this classic special effect of, like, it has to have been on a green or a blue screen, but the the sky suddenly starts to get really stormy and dark. And then it just smash cuts. Mm-hmm to uh jack butler is the name of the the guitar player and he's just shredding on yeah. there which 
fun fact jack butler the the devil's guitar player is played by legendary rock and roll guitarist steve Vai. of course he's legendary for a reason like watching it he really does you could just practically feel just the the jabs that he lands in the cut and head scene like Mm -hmm. again like he is whooping eugene's ass (laughs) like a lot and like it, it it gets to the point to where Willie actually has to go in and assist him a little <laughs> bit. And, of course, like, Willie gives him, before he goes on to the stage uh, to do the guitar battle, uh, he gives him, like, this uh, little uh, voodoo bag that's supposed to be, like, a, a mojo good luck charm. And it it really doesn't seem to be working all that well. It kind of it, it kind of becomes a little bit more fair as it goes along once Eugene starts to pick up on things a little bit more. But then the other guy just totally destroys him. And you think, oh, no, it's over. The, like, Scratch gets this big-ass grin on his face. Everything's all going according to plan. And then... What does Eugene do? It's a total callback to like one of his first scenes in the movie uh, in his uh, Juilliard class. And he just brings back that classical training with the blues flair. And I hit you not literally just starts playing uh, like this updated version of Niccolo uh, Paganini's Fifth Caprice, which... By the way, according to myth, Pagini also sold his soul to the devil yeah. for his musical skills. Again, this movie is very, very good at tying all these myths together. And it makes sense that Eugene would pick that particular fucking composition too. Just going back with his fucking mm-hmm. musical uh, uh, knowledge and everything like that. They literally do call him at one point at Juilliard, like he was billed as a prodigy. You, you know, e- even mm-hmm. with that whole thing, like Willie, like when they're on the Greyhound bus at the beginning, he says, like, you know, you gotta, you don't have to look at the books, you gotta live it, and this and that. But it's like, no, this is what makes Eugene so unique. Yeah, it's like he's classically trained, he's a prodigy, and he knows the books well, he knows musical history well. All he needed was to find his own, I guess you could say, voice through all of that. And he finally finds it in that moment by, again, reconciling his the two sides of him. His love for blues and his understanding of the classical. And brings it together in this honestly mind-blowing sequence of him shredding that guitar with what's supposed to be a violin solo and this is just for like the guitar players out there but like what makes it even more and i remember my grandpa he would gush about this this is like the first thing that he showed me before he showed me the whole movie and i said you got to show me where that came from i remember my grandpa was even more mind blown watching it and was seeing that eugene was doing this shit He, he was doing this absolutely complex solo that as far as i understand it like everyone it's one of the most difficult pieces to perform and he's doing it while finger picking on an electric guitar 
And those metal strings, those steel strings, they can... I I know from personal experience, that shit sucks. You have to have your fingers like callus to the bone, practically. And what's great is seeing Steve uh, or Jack Butler try and match that and just failing because... And that's the thing, it looks so good, like, watching him. It's so satisfying seeing him try and match that with a pick. But the funny thing is that I remember reading, like, a thing that Steve Vai had said that that was the most difficult thing for him to to film, which is intentionally fucking up. Because as a guitarist, you basically have your form down pat that when you try and intentionally make mistakes, you don't even think about it. So that whole time watching it, now you can kind of see like the bits where he kind of telegraphs himself. But initially, it's like, oh, my God, that sounds rough. And I can practically see the strain on his face, like trying to like make it look good. But at the same time, it matches so well. And like, I can't fucking get it just right. Like that sequence is insane because like it even shocks Willie too. like he's just like, where in the hell did that come from? <laughs> and like, I, I love just how it just leaves the entire room dead silent. They're just like, whoa. And then, of course, Steve just leaves the stage, just drops his guitar, just walks off stage. And then everyone starts partying again, like, oh, yeah, we have a winner. And then you just see Scratch just stand up from his chair, resigned but pissed off, and just pulls out the con- Willie's contract and just rips it in two and walks out. It, it's absolutely perfect. You, you can't ask for anything better. And it, I didn't even realize it when we were when me and my roommate were watching it last night. There was a point like after the fucking a- after the battle and everything, and he, you know, it cuts back to it dissolves back to the crossroads, and the subtitles came on. It barely hit mm-hmm. for us. Like for that whole eight minutes, there was no dialogue. Now that you mention it, holy shit. I, I knew that there wasn't dialogue for a it while, was like but a I didn't think it was that while. Long. And that is <laughs> confidence. That is, you have to know your cooking. Everything is conveyed so well through the music, through the performances, through the camera angles that you don't even realize that there's like no dialogue. It just dialogue. came out of nowhere, like once, you know, they're talking about like, oh, you gotta hit your thumb, like you ready? And my roommate just goes, Wait, were the were the subtitles on the whole time? Which they were. They've been on the whole movie. But that, just the way that that whole sequence sh- sucks you in, it, you could hear a pin drop afterwards. And uh, God, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's it's a great great movie. But like again, like I I love. I just love like eugene using that solo which is one of the hardest ones to play especially on a guitar and it is a pagini composition which again is a man who is known in myth to have sold his soul to the to the devil for his musical skills so for eugene to actually use that to his advantage is just fucking genius. This has to have been something that, like, they had to have come up with, like, Ry Cooter and 
and all the others and Steve Vai must have had to come up with like as they were going into pre-production or or anything like that because watching I'm looking at the script like just out of curiosity I wanted to see if that song was written in and this is literally what it says uh, Butler grins, turning on the steam. He introduces a sizzling lick, drawing a blank from Eugene. Butler turns to the audience and raises his guitar high in victory. But suddenly, Eugene plays the complex riff back without missing a note, and adds a run of notes that are classical, and then turns them back into the blues. Suddenly, all is quiet. The guitarists stare each other down. After a moment, Butler tries to duplicate Eugene's pattern, and fails. On the floor, the crowd is absolutely riveted. This isn't what they expected. On stage, Butler stares expressionless into the face of his challenger. He, too, is now sweating, but it does not take long for the smile to break across his face. He positions his instrument, whispers the tempo into his memory, and plays. He can't believe it. Eugene lets go again. Blues riffs mixed with classical runs. Like, it, it does not have that at all. So, like, like it doesn't specify the exact composition. So, like, yeah, that was that was definitely like everyone kind of coming together and figuring out what the right song ha- was going to be, and they chose fucking brilliantly. And it it also ties in like perfectly to like the overall theme of the film, which is just that you know function over form kind of mm-hmm. thing and learning to reconcile the two it's it, it, it's it's the perfect tie-in to that very beginning and just it's also in my opinion a perfect lesson for all artists you know especially as a filmmaker i'll admit i steal shamelessly from a lot of sources i i mean hell even the most self-respecting artists like quentin tarantino like it unabashedly borrows and takes from his favorites and everything like it's well known that that man practically steals things from other movies and and yet but he remixes it into something that is wholly his own yeah like you can't look at although kill bill is essentially just a remix of a bunch of different you know old exploitation and samurai movies from the 70s and all that it's unabashedly him Mm -hmm. and honest to god if anybody wants to hear how awesome this sounds well obviously i recommend just watching the movie it's if we haven't sold you on this movie already yet then i'm gonna be shocked but if you if you need like a little example of how great this music is i think this track that eugene does that does that song with is called uh, Eugene's Bag of Tricks. Eugene's Trick Either Bag. That or Eugene, yeah, Eugene's Trick Bag. That's it. Just go listen to that track. Just, just d- d- don't even watch the visual to it. Just, just listen to it. And if that doesn't convince you, uh, honey, <laughs> w- what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Please give this movie a chance. Please. Let's oh, into your heart. <laughs> oh my god like that scene is the one thing i remembered from this entire film after all these years that was the one thing that stuck in my mind the most was that scene and for good reason it is one of the best scenes 
I have ever seen in a music-based film. It is right up there with probably some of the best scenes in Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Oh, man. Like, uh, okay, if we're going with that far, I will I will bring in the hot take. That that final guitar battle, in my humble mm-hmm. opinion, blows the finale of Whiplash to shame. And I love Whiplash. Yeah, that is, uh, wow. I mean, it's a take I very much respect i i don't know if i disagree <laughs> because with it. like with, with with chazelle as much as i i love whiplash i really do but Ch- the thing that puts the the battle over the edge for me is one thing that ironically i'd say is whiplash's strength which is its editing you know it's mm-hmm. very quick and you know you feel the rhythm of the drums and everything like that but at the same time if need be they can cut but with uh, with Crossroads and the, the Cutting Heads competition, Walter Hill lets everything play out in wides and masters and holds on the notes being played so you can follow along. And a few times. Again, the execution is very different. Yeah, and it, it gives you that. But both are masterful. It gives you that little bit of like, with Whiplash, it's more like, oh my God, I am seeing somebody cook. But at the same time, with Crossroads, it it holds enough that it gives you that impression like, wait, this is possible. Like, I mean, it, I believe there's there's some movie trivia where it's like if you pay attention, like if you know the chords very well, you'll know that like if you pay attention to what Ralph Macchio's is doing with the guitar, like it's very inaccurate, of course, because, you know, he's an actor. He's not going to get it. Oh, yeah. Right. But it. But, like, the illusion is so fucking good that you're not thinking about it. Like, it's, it, like, they sell it just enough where you're not thinking about, hey, he's not playing the chords right. It's just, it's so, uh, I'm still buzzing just thinking about it. Like, it is a great, great sequence that... Like, once you see it, I I think it's probably going to stay with you for a very long time, if not the rest of your life. By the way, one more thing, since I am a self-proclaimed Spielberg fanboy. I, I was wondering oh, yes. why the dancer in like in that whole sequence looked so familiar. Uh, oh. I, God, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Akosa Busia. Or Busia is the woman at boarding house. She's the one that's dancing on stage. That yeah. is, uh, like that actress. She, uh, she was in the color purple. Yeah, she was uh, oh. Nettie. Uh, she she was uh, Celie's sister that you know runs away. All right, okay. And just like a little fun fact out there. Just a little fun bit of movie. I, I got to get my there, Spielberg so. love out in some way. <laughs> yeah, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm not as familiar with Walter Hill movies as you are. So like th- this does make me really want to go and explore some of his other. Oh, work. absolutely. Like I'm telling you right now, like Walter Hill, like even just as a writer is very very influential if i remember correctly i believe he was also a mentor for shane black and when you look at movies like 48 hours like you could very much see the uh 
the influence. Yeah. yeah, I actually didn't know Walter Hill did that one, but yeah, I can see it. <laughs> and then I, I swear, I think, um, I think Walter Hill, if I remember correctly, like th- this sounds very weird that I would forget this, but if I remember correctly, I think he might have actually had a major big hand. No, yeah, he did. I think he did an uncredited rewrite of Alien. Like, I think his version is uh, mostly what you see in the final product for the most part. I guess that kind of makes sense. It is a a little more reserved in some ways, I suppose. I'd say definitely if you want to get into Walter Hill's, like, like, have you seen Streets of Fire? I, I, I am telling it, no. you right now, make a day for you and Jen to watch it. It is absolutely okay. like it, literally if the words an American neo-noir rock musical that is literally described in the opening credits as <laughs> a rock and roll fable. As a self-proclaimed Baz Luhrmann fan, that sounds... Amazing. It's, it's absolutely bonkers and nuts. It feels like the culmination of like 80s comics in the best way. But if you want to see like a couple other things, like obviously 48 hours, you just have to get past um because admittingly he as much as I love Walter Hill as a writer and director, you have to have a stomach for this stuff, and Forty Eight Hours has a lot of racism. Yeah, I'm. I I, I, I believe that he actually has a. Uh, I think he has a western that's out on a uh, digital right now. Yes, starring uh, Willem Dafoe. I try to remember what the title is. Is it? Uh, yes. Is it like Dead for a Dollar <laughs> or something like that? I don't. Yeah, I. I. You sent me the trailer for that. Um, and all I needed to see was Willem Dafoe in a Western. You got me sold. I'm watching this. Me neither. I just haven't seen I, it yet. I need to. I, I gotta seek it out a little bit more. But, yeah, like, uh, I had a blast talking about it's this movie so much with fun. you. Like, again, like, this is such a great movie, and I couldn't thank you enough for suggesting this one, because again, it, it's one of those movies that had it not been suggested for me to revisit, I'm not sure if I ever would have. It's not because it wasn't good. For me, back whenever I was 12, it's just, like, I I think I was too young to and, see. And that's fair. There's a lot of pictures that you'll see in your life that are like that. For me, I have to admit, <laughs> the weird comparison, but, like, the Godfather and Jackie Brown are like very much those types of movies. And this one, yeah. once, once you see it, 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 it just holds a special place inside of you. Yeah, absolutely. Which is one reason why I was actually very, very intrigued whenever you picked this one. Cause I was like, Oh, I remember seeing that one had some interesting things. Okay. And then I rewatched it. I was like, Holy shit, this movie's far better. It, it than really I does deserve <laughs> to go down and like, the pantheon of great 80s films. Absolutely. uh, I agree. I I don't know if I can find it right now as kind of like the kind of like the the stamp on it. But there was a quote from uh, Roger Ebert. Ah, I found it right here. There's a quote from Roger Ebert that I think perfectly just gets the movie. He stated that the movie borrows so freely and is a reminder of so many other movies that it's a little startling at the end to realize how effective the movie is and how original it manages to feel despite all the plunderings. 
Yeah, which kind of, again, gets into, in a way, the point of the movie. Ah, you gotta love when this stuff comes together. Oh, absolutely. But um, anyway, uh, now that we have hopefully successfully uh, sold everyone on this movie, is there anything you would like to say or plug before we bid everyone adieu? Oh, I got two things. Um, obviously, like I mentioned at the start, you know, my YouTube channel is JoshBoy64. Um, if you want to come on by, I have some pretty okay video essays, and I promise they're great. I promise they're great. By the end of this year, <laughs> I'm going to have some more videos up. I'm just trying to get some time to shoot some stuff because I'm going a little bit more ambitious than I'm used to. Bear with me. Yeah. My next video is going to be a video about the writer's strike, actually. Okay. Yeah, this is going to be real interesting. Yeah, it's um, going to be probably the most, like, the simplest video I'll shoot this year, and it's still going to be very complex. I got that, as well as my short film, Rudetta, which I'm aiming to have finished by this year and aiming for a premiere either at the end or maybe, like, sometime next year after it's run the festival circuit. And the other thing I'd like to plug is um, I'm technically a part of a gaming company. So um, if right. there are any tabletop RPG aficionados out there, I'd recommend uh, going to pathwalker1.com because in a little bit, whenever this comes out, we are going to be selling through drive through RPG. We're going to have some details going on there, but for now, like we have this... Uh, the, the subscription service going on called the Wayfarers Club. And um, we have this uh, Western adventure, you know, that's currently being rolled out called the Withered West. And, you know, being a play tester, it is a lot of fun. It's got really, really loose rules that anybody can more or less just pick up and play and learn and master within an hour or two of just kind of reading and getting the setup. If you're curious at all, want to learn more, go to pathwalker1.com and we have our rules up there for free. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very accessible. So, uh, I mean, I've looked into things myself. It's a very accessible role playing game. So if you're into that thing, go ahead and check it out. Yeah. And if you want to follow me on Twitter at JSH Lozano, um, I spend a little too much time on there. Um, I think we all spend a little too much time Log on Log on, follow me. You can hear my hot takes, and you can also see me occasionally thirsting. Oh yeah, uh, especially if Haley Steinfeld's in town. Um, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, it, th th this is just friends taking the piss out of each other now. Um, but uh, yeah, go ahead and check out uh, Josh's stuff. Uh his his YouTube channel is better than he gives it credit for. Trust me, really good stuff on there. Especially if you're into Spielberg like he is, he has some pretty good Spielberg videos. But yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. I don't necessarily have a whole lot to plug right now other than uh, I too am working on a couple YouTube things that's going to be a little bit more ambitious. Uh, my next episode is going to actually be with my girlfriend, Jenny. We're going to be uh, talking about another 80s film called The Wizard, which 
was basically made to be a Nintendo commercial, but is way, way better than what it sounds. Trust me. Uh, it's a classic. Yeah, so very excited to talk about that one in the next episode. And then we're probably going to go back to more current things for a little bit. But I guess we're just going to have this little 80s detour. But yeah, that's that's about it on my end. So uh, again, Josh, it was great having you on. It was great, great being on. on. And honest to God, it was great just being able to finally collab with you on this level. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it again at any point in time honestly so yeah until the next time hope everyone stays safe in their travels bye, bye.